about a gathering here of new community and branches and Emmaus and that uh, God is really doing some some really cool things, things that we're excited about, things that, in honesty, this is something we've been praying about and dreaming about for the last two years. In fact, I remember sitting uh, with dinner for dinner with Ryan and Heidi at one point a little over two years ago before they joined staff and just talking about could it be possible? Could we plant another church? Could we dream about this? And then them coming on staff. And then about like a week or two later, sitting down with David and saying, David, can we dream about this? Could this be possible? Could we plant a church? And these are things that God has been just stirring in all of us for a really long time. And so it's exciting. This morning, I just couldn't wait to get here just to be a part of what God is doing and how He is uh, sending us out. We've got uh, just a quick, I just want to give you a little overview of what's to come so that we don't have to come up and just transition every single thing, um, but you can just kind of, it can just flow. Uh, what you're gonna, what's going to happen here over the next few minutes, uh, David and Ryan are going to be coming and sharing each separately, and they're just going to talk about just what God's doing and how He's been stirring in them and things that have been happening and uh, just what they've been dreaming about. Maybe even sharing requests or things that you can be praying for as uh, they and their families and their leadership teams launch out. So David will come. Ryan will come after him. And then we've asked two individuals to come and each individual is going to share uh, one. The first one's going to share a little bit about David and uh, the things that he's seen in David and Monica and and the way that God has been using them and how he's been preparing them for this very moment. And then another individual is going to come and share about Ryan and Heidi and their family and leadership team and just the way that God has been working in them. After those individuals all come and share, then uh, Rob Fairbanks is going to come and he's going to communicate uh, from God's word and, and challenge us all with this idea of going and uh, being a part of God's kingdom and what everything that he has in store. And it's I haven't talked about this with Rob yet this morning, but just knowing that about 20 years ago, God had this vision in his heart and new community started. And then from there, God has planted three churches already and then two more this Sunday. And I can only imagine him being able to share again and say, look at what God has done over these 20 years. Um, It's a privilege to be a part of the new community and to be a part of what God is doing in this city. So then let's pray. God, we are, again, so thankful for what you've been doing. And this morning really is about giving you all the honor and glory and at the same time celebrating what is happening in our midst. That we are grateful for how you move us, the ways you motivate us, the very calling that you've given us to be people that go, to be a part of your work, part of your kingdom. And God, now as we hear from David and then Ryan and just continue to catch a vision for how God is using them and continue to pray for them. God, may this this whole morning be an opportunity uh, to praise you and, and commission them and just to be an encouragement to all of us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church for the rest of our lives. It will be where we're connected, where we're a part of, where we're coming out from. And for me, as we plant Emmaus, 
one of the greatest things that I'm happy and fulfilled and excited about is the fact that we will be connected to new community. We will be connected to all of you. We will be a part of the kingdom together advancing it in the city of Spokane. And so for that, to all of you guys, I say thank you very, very much for believing in us, for praying with us, for sending us out, for being a part of this. We love you and are excited to be able to come back and share all of the great things that God has done. Um, that branches picture I'd like to have in our foyer, though. I need a copy of that one. Um, a couple, what, probably seven years ago, I heard a pastor say, if you really want to be a pastor, maybe you're not supposed to be one. And if you don't want to be a pastor, maybe you are supposed to be one. And I don't know if that statement is true for everyone, but at the time I heard it, it was very true for me because I had this feeling that maybe I'm supposed to be a pastor. Maybe I was being raised by a pastor. I don't know. I just had this feeling, ah, someday I'm going to be a pastor. But I also really didn't want to be a pastor. Maybe that was also because I was raised by a pastor. And I saw <laughs> a great pastor, but I saw kind of the negative aspects and so I made this deal with God. I don't know if it's really a deal. That's probably not the right word. God is probably just, okay, you say your deal, well, whatever. <laughs> but my deal was, okay, God, if you really want me to be a pastor, if you really do, if I'm supposed to be one, you're going to have to make it really, really, really obvious. And if you do, I'll go. But you've got to make it so obvious because I am not that guy that's going to go plant a church. I'm not that guy that's going to go try and do this thing on my own. You've got to make it obvious. So, two and a half years ago, I'm out with Rob at Ripples, kind of explaining this situation. I don't remember the exact words. I feel like I should plan a church. And Rob says, all right, well, why don't we hire you at Newcom, and we'll send you out. I said, really? I make video games. <laughs> no. No, I think we should do it. I think we should do it. Let's do it. We'll, we'll hire you. We'll figure this out. I go home. Okay, wow, that seems pretty obvious. All right? My friend is like, you're never going to get more obvious. You have to take that job. I know your deal. All right, take the job. Three months after that, I'm standing up here on this stage, very nervous, very excited, a little scared, and I give this talk on my first day, which is unbelievable looking back on it. And here I am two and a half years later, and I'm standing here a little nervous, a little scared, but very excited to be planting a church, which I, you know, I can't even believe it. And since I haven't been up here all summer, I wanted to kind of give you a quick synopsis of my summer, and I'm going to do that through a story, because it's a great representation of my summer, and it's the story of the stage. Memorial Day weekend. After church, here, Topher's already laughing. <laughs> Memorial Day weekend, we're going to go out to my brother and sister-in-law's for a nice, relaxing day on the water. All of our family's going to be there. Our Contigo boys, who are pretty much our family, are also going to be there. So we're looking forward to this. Driving out in the van, I get a call from Ben. Hey, did you look at that stage on Craigslist? Oh, yeah, that stage. Yeah, I looked at it, but you know what? Going out Memorial Day weekend, can't get it. No, we have to get it today if we want it. Why? They're getting rid of their storage container. This is the last day. We have to get it today. Oh, uh, well, I just can't, Ben. I've got things to do. Can you go get it? No, can't. All right, I'll call some people. No, none of them can get it. 
How much is it? $75. All right, I'll call you back. I'm going to offer them 50. Ben calls back. Okay, they'll take 50. We have to come get it today. <laughs> so we get out to the lake. We're there about 10 minutes. I don't know. I'll go get this stage. My brother-in-law, hey, I've got a truck. My dad has his snowmobile trailer here. You can borrow that. It'll be perfect. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, all right. Where is it? Post Falls. Oh, cool. All right, great. It'd be fun to drive out there. Uh, okay, so let's hook up the trailer and the truck. Oh, one thing, I don't know how to back up a trailer. Yeah, I know, Ryan. So Jason makes up all these excuses. It's got a wide wheelbase. Be careful. Like, are you just saying that because you know I don't know how to drive a trailer? Yes. Thanks. So we get in the truck, me and Topher. Topher says, I'll go with you. Start driving out there. We fill it up with gas. We pick up Ben. Ben, do you know how to drive a trailer? No. Topher, do you know how to drive? No. Do you? No. All right, well, I hope we don't have to back it up. We get to Post Falls. We drive into this little storage container, and there's two guys there, and me and Topher and Ben, and we open this storage thing, and there's three 8 by 11 stages made of like 2 by 10s. This is the heaviest thing I've ever touched in my life. The five of us loaded onto this trailer. There's three sections. This thing is massive. The trailer is squeaking down. I'm like, okay, well, thanks. I'll uh, fix my back later. Appreciate it. Here's the $50. It's carpeted and has outlets. Ooh, okay. So we start driving. We drive about 30 seconds. What's that smell? Uh, it smells like burning rubber. Okay, that's probably not good. Let's pull over. Pull over. I don't see anything. All right, how's the axle look? Uh, it looks like it's bent, but I think it probably just does that. Let's call Jason. <laughs> Jason, how much weight can we hold on this trailer? Oh, don't worry about it. I put snowmobiles on there. How many of them? Oh, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Okay, is the tire usually like a half inch away from the trailer? Just don't worry about it. Oh, but be careful. It's not licensed. So don't drive on the freeway. Okay. So we'll take the back roads, going about 20 miles an hour because it's this far from the tire. We're taking the back roads. We accidentally miss one of the back roads, so we're on the freeway now. We're going about 30 miles an hour on the freeway with this trailer. And we decide, hey, instead of going to Jason's and put it in his garage, let's just go up to the church, unload it, and be done with it. Okay, great idea. So we drive up to the church. On the way there, I call the Contigo boys who are having a great time at the lake. Hey, guys, can you come help us move this massive stage? It's the heaviest thing you've ever moved. Okay, we'll be there. So we get to the church, start looking at the stage. We look at the door. Oh, there's a problem. This won't fit in the door. Okay, right. All the Contigo boys get there. We lift the stage off of the trailer. Won't fit in the door. Okay, well, we're going to have to leave them out, so we're going to need some tarps. Great, I've got some tarps at home. Sean, can I borrow your car? Because my car's not here because we drove the truck. Yes. I drive Sean's car to my house. Park it in the driveway. Open the door. Go get a tarp. Shove the tarp into the car. As I do, it locks Sean's doors. And I close them. I go to get in the driver's side. Okay. Sean, your, your, your car's locked. Do you have any extra keys? No. Go to my neighbor. We'll use the hanger. That doesn't work. I call my Nana. <laughs> Nana, you're a AAA member, right? Yeah. Can you have them come out and open this door, this car for me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my Nana lies to the AAA guy <laughs> because he says, what kind of car do you have? And she says, oh, I 
think it's, uh, I don't know. And he says, you don't know what kind of car you own? Oh, I'm just an old lady. All right. So the AAA guy eventually comes out. He uh, opens the door. I take the tarp. We cover the stages, which is really good because then it ends up pouring rain. So then me and Ben the next day, hey, we'll take apart the doors and we'll get the stage in. Great idea. We spend five hours taking apart the doors and then putting the doors back together because we can't get this one bar across. So then we say, let's cut the stages. So we cut the stage. We move the stage in pieces into the room. Great, they're done. Ben comes back, puts them back together. Oh, so good. One problem, we're getting the room carpeted. The only way to get the stages out is to cut them again. <laughs> so we cut the stages again, move them, carpeted. We decide we should put them back together. No, we shouldn't. We end up tearing off the carpet, covering the outlets, doing a completely new top, and now they're finally in the room. <laughs> yes. And I'm going to get to stand on them next week, and it's going to be cool. But I tell you that story because this summer has been incredibly frustrating at times. In fact, I've hated it. And I've said, what am I doing? This is the dumbest thing I've ever decided to do. I have no idea what I'm doing. This is crazy. So if you see me walking around town with kind of this glazed look on my face, that's probably I'm just having one of those moments. What am I doing? It's been really frustrating and stressful because it seems like on the holidays, on the times I don't want to do something, I get the call. Hey, we got to go get that stage. But all of that said, this summer has been so exciting. It's been so amazing to see a community of people come around and support me. As bad as the stage was, it was also some of the most fun times we've had, joking, never swearing, <laughs> joking a lot and laughing and trying to move this honking, heavy thing into the building, cutting it, rebuilding it, cutting it. It's been an amazing, amazing time. And I think most amazing has been this passion and excitement that maybe I've seen in my own life and I've seen in others. And it's made me to start thinking, you know, what is really the cause of this passion? What's really the cause of making people come out and work there hour after hour who aren't getting paid for and they're just volunteering? Why are we doing this? And I thought, you know, if, if we're really just excited about planning a church, pretty cool, but that's probably going to fade. So a lot of churches planted, and probably a year from now, if that's what's driving us, probably not going to do the job. So what is really this passion that's driving you, Ryan? What is really the passion behind branches? What do you want it to be? And I was looking at Genesis, and it's right there in the beginning. It says, God breathed life into man. And if you look at that word life, it means so much more than God made man to have a breath and have a heartbeat. It's God gave man the experience of life, this vitality of life, this amazing ability to experience life to its fullest. In John 10, Jesus said, what? I came to bring life. And it's the Greek word zoe. You've heard it before. This is not I came to bring you a heartbeat. We already had a heartbeat. Jesus said, I came to bring you life, this ability to live life to the fullest. And I came to bring it abundantly. I came to bring so much life, you don't know what to do with it all. It's going to be spilling over. That's the kind of life I'm bringing. And I tell you, that is, in the last two years, I think one of the things that I've grown the most in. I think I again believe 
that Christianity brings life. I'm convinced of it again. For a while I wasn't. Maybe it was just a religion. I don't know what it was. But I'm convinced again that Christianity brings life. And I'm convinced more than ever that this world is begging for something to live for. And so my hope for branches is that we are a beacon of that life. We are a beacon of the transformation power that Jesus Christ offers to give people the fullness and experience of life. And what I love about that is I can challenge you too. New community. Been around for years. No church plant here. There's going to be some changes, but I challenge you. If you don't have that life, if you don't feel like Christianity is bringing you a passion for a fullness of life over abundance, then ask yourself why. Figure it out. I need to thank people because as I said in the beginning, God, you got to make this really obvious. And God used people to make it really obvious. First off, he used Rob. Rob, thank you. I don't know why you hired a game designer and said plan a church, but I have to believe that God was at work and that you were listening to him, and I'm very appreciative for that. I want to thank the elders. I mean, again, these elders looking at my resume, not a lot of stuff on there. These guys hired me, had faith, and again, Pat, John, Patrick, I assume you were doing more than just checking out the resume. You were listening to God. And I appreciate that so much for making it obvious. I thank everyone here who sent me notes, who came up after a talk and said, that really hit me. Buy me a Starbucks card. Whatever it was, thank you so much. Because again, those little things add up to make it, man, this is obvious. I'm doing something I need to be doing. And I want to thank Russ. Russ has been one of the greatest people to ever work with, if not the greatest. I have enjoyed so much working with Russ. As David said, appreciate this guy. He is an amazing man, and I'm so excited to see how he leads New Community. And continue to shower him with Starbucks cards and kind words. He loves it. Kevin has been a year, again, one of the coolest guys. You're so lucky. These are two amazing men. Kevin, I've enjoyed getting to know you so much, and I'm thankful again for the encouragement both of you have given me, the willingness to let me go, and the willingness to again allow God to speak through you and saying, yeah, Ryan, this is obvious. So thank you again to everyone. I'm going to, as David said, miss this place like crazy. It's a weird day. It's way more than just me leaving. I'm looking around at other people that are leaving and kind of breaking up this good thing, but I am so excited for branches. I'm so excited for Emmaus. I'm so excited for new community because God is at work. It's obvious. God is at work, and I cannot wait to see what he does at all three places. Thanks. That was quite the stage story. Props to you for not swearing. I sure would have been. Uh, my name is Steve, and I've actually known Marv and Danica for about 20, or Dave and Monica for about 20 years. <laughs> I first met them when they were teenagers in high school. Monica was somewhat of a sassy sophomore at West Valley High School, and Dave was this fearsome Ferris Saxon. And I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you have a picture of Rush Limbaugh in your bedroom? Dave was a young conservative Republican that 
Rush Limbaugh every day, Fox News, and he's come a long way. I don't know if his dad knows this, but actually now he has a picture of Barack and Hillary in his bedroom. <laughs> and Monica as well. N not Lewinsky. <laughs> but now he's watching public television. He's a friend of seven. He's going to be up on the South Hills, so beads and seeds, candles and sandals, you know, the whole deal. Dri driving a Subaru, all that fun stuff. But when I met Dave, he was your typical enthusiastic youth pastor. Well, actually, he wasn't a youth pastor yet, but he had aspired to be a youth pastor. And I saw him evolve into a, a young man that just wanted to serve God. And it was like 101%, I'm on fire for God. We had, I, I helped Dave out in the youth group, and we had this radically intense Bible challenge, you know, and all those fiery youth group type of verbiage that we would use. And, and, and then he went through some really difficult times in his marriage, and many of you have heard the story. And, you know, I just, I just look at David and understanding what brokenness is and then understanding what redemption is and a God that's been faithful to him and never gave up on him and his wife that uh, has just stood beside him and been so faithful throughout the years and I just have so much respect and admiration and it's just a neat time to see him stepping out into what God had called him to be and even as his mother was telling me today that you know even in her womb she sensed that she was going to have a son that was going to share God's word so to see that fulfilled in their lives as well, it, it's, a, it's a pretty neat thing. I know I thought about one word, and there are several words that I could use to describe David and Monica, but I, I thought of the word approachable. And I've just sensed that over the years, David's come through a lot of different ideas that he had about Christianity and church and those type of things, but he's, he's a very approachable guy. There's nothing that will shock him or surprise him, and you could bring up your ideas, your thoughts, your suggestions, and he's very open to receiving those things. And I just thought of the scripture where Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I've just really seen that in David and Monica's lives. You know, they're very non-judgmental. People are welcome to come. They receive them, and then it's not just, you know, oftentimes we see in churches, well, everybody's welcome. Everybody can come here, come as you are, but yet we have an agenda. You can come as you are, but after a few weeks, you better start conforming to what we believe you should be like in the image of Christ as we see it, instead of just, just come unto me. We're here to love you. It just sums it up. We're here to love you. So I love them, and I respect them, and, and, and thank God for new community and your leaders here in a day and age when so many churches are trying to keep their little flocks. You know, there, there's only one shepherd, the chief shepherd, and that's Jesus. And it's just so refreshing to me to see, you know, men and women that have believed in David and Monica and, and Ryan, and you're, you're just sending people out. You know, how refreshing that is in the body of Christ to just see people behind other people fulfilling their dreams. Thank you. I'm Ron and I'm uh, Ryan's dad. Uh, Ryan is uh, the fourth son in our family, the youngest one. His mother prayed for seven years that God would give us another kid. 
and we were just out with the doctor who delivered him in Albuquerque, New Mexico, just a couple weeks ago. He was visiting here, and I still remember his words when he came out to the, to the waiting room back in those days. Dads didn't go in where they were in babies. He came out and he said to me, oh, I am so sorry. It's another boy. <laughs> but we were thrilled to have another son. His mom prayed that God would use him. And uh, I need to tell you this, Ryan, that when I mailed the letter of my application to go to seminary, I mailed it with a little prayer. I said, okay, God, look, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll go anywhere you want me to go, except I will not pastor a church in the United States. Forty years later, having pastored churches in the United States, I'm here to tell you that that's absolutely right. When God says you're going to do it, you're going to do it, okay? We dragged you off to uh, Haiti uh, to live where I pastored a church for a while. And uh, while we watched Ryan in uh, fourth, fifth, sixth grade living in Port-au-Prince, we uh, were hoping then that somehow in his little head and his little brain, God would develop something serious and great for the kingdom of God. And, and God has. We've been thrilled. We've been thrilled with all of our kids, whether they're in the ministry or not. But uh, this has been an especial great thrill to see Ryan develop this way. Uh, a couple of uh, days ago, I was uh, reflecting because I was trying to share something with my grandson who's learning how to drive, not one of Ryan's kids yet. And, uh, and I, I said to him something that my father taught me when he was teaching me how to drive. And this was what he taught me. He said, real men never ask directions. Now, I'm not sure that he actually verbalized that. I think it might have been that he just lived that, and I caught it. But I'm pretty sure that when I taught Ryan how to drive, I'm sure I also communicated those directions to him because they have been a part of my life my whole life. Real men don't ask for directions. Now that's all been solved now because now we have 3G, we have GPSs, and so real men don't have to ask for directions anymore. <laughs> Unfortunately, there is no GPS for life. There's just nothing like that in our high-tech world to give us the direction that God has for us. It's somewhere else. And lots of times we have the idea that we get directions for life from things called facts. And I like facts. And uh, we have a tendency to learn lots of facts. And getting educated by learning facts is a wonderful thing for playing Trivial Pursuit. But that's not real direction in life. The real direction in life comes from something called truth, not facts. And truth is found in a living God and in the living God's book. And Ryan, I want to encourage you and Heidi and these uh, three children that God has given you to find truth. And as you find that truth and grow in that truth, would you deliver that same truth to the people who are around you? And that will guide them, and that will encourage them, and that will indeed prove to be that all of you grow to become all that God has designed you to be. 
Your mom and I have uh, just a favorite verse that comes out of the scripture written by the Apostle John in the book that has his name called Third John. And many of you know that verse, and it is simply this, that nothing delights our hearts more and more than that our children walk in truth. Ryan and Heidi, Isaac, Abby, Anna walk in truth. And may the blessing of a living God bless you in this endeavor. And for this church, may you all be blessed in that as well. Thanks. God bless. Well, here we are. Another birth. Twins. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share just a few thoughts from Scripture with you all. Uh, but before you do, let, let me let you know that I'm... I uh, just got back from traveling. I've been in Europe for the last month. I got back midweek, and I'm a little groggy. And uh, I got a chance, as, as uh, David mentioned, I got a chance several years ago to, to be involved in church planting, not just in the city, but globally. And so I got, I've been traveling around visiting people like Ryan and David and Russ all around northern Europe. Now, the, the sad part is it's really cold there. I wear a coat. Uh, two shirts and a coat for the entire month of August. I was so eager to get home and see sunshine. And, uh, but uh, we had, Christian Associates is the organization I'm leading. We had our annual Global Connect where there's about 250 people there from all over Europe, Eastern Europe. Uh, I'll share some uh, story about a couple in Africa, Latin American even here. And uh, it was the first one that I, I've been to where I was actually in charge. I don't know the best way to put that. I mean, I took the president's role of this organization. So it's kind of a weird group, and I got a chance to share what I think are, are elements to movement. You know, we all want to be a part of a Jesus movement. At least I do. And uh, so I got a chance to share those, and it was really good. But uh, I, I, I'm involved in a really weird group. And, and uh, what's it called when you go to college and join a fraternity, and then they initiate you? Hazing, right? Yeah, well, I'm just going to show you one picture of my most dignified moment at the conference. Okay, you can take that down now. They made me get on stage and they painted my face and this clown came up and made me do things that are unmentionable. I'll share a few other uh, stories that might have something to do with what we're talking about here in a moment. We are thrilled this morning and privileged, I particularly am, because uh, this is really the dream that I've had when we moved back to Spokane, to be a part of sending Ryan and Heidi and David and Monica out, along with several other people, a team of people. Many of you uh, in this room, we're sending you out as well. And we're going to pray for those people. But I, I think it's important for us to set the stage from Scripture. Because really this, as, as uh, Ryan's dad shared, this is really born out of, out of reading Scripture and finding out what is God's heart for the nations. And so if you'll do this with me for a moment, I don't know how many of you are packing Bibles, uh, but open to Romans chapter 10. By the way, welcome back, Bogues, from Thailand. You'll, yeah, yeah. You'll get a chance to talk sometime. Not today. <laughs> <laughs> Romans chapter 10, verse 1. 
Romans chapter 10, and I honestly, I'm looking at the clock realizing that I'm going to have to condense this talk substantially. Uh, it really is a chapter of, that encompasses many of Paul's thoughts from the entire letter. And Paul had a prior, priority toward the Jews, as did Jesus. In fact, Paul in, in Romans chapter 1 says, uh, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the um, power unto God unto salvation, first for the Jews, right? So all the way through the book of Romans, you see him uh, with this priority toward the Jews. But in Romans 10, and I'm going to summarize this first section, Paul tells them, you were zealous for the law, you followed the way of Moses, but you missed a very important point, and that is righteousness comes by faith. If you want to write this down, Romans chapter 1, verse 17 is really the key verse to the entire book of Romans. It's, the, it's the, actually the, the verse that, that Luther figured out the Reformation over. And that is that it's, it's our righteousness is by faith from the very beginning to the end. It's by faith alone, right? Those of you who are Reformation people, you should get that. Well, that's what he's saying in Romans 10 as well. If you look at verse 4, and I'm going to project this. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes, Right? But he says, you guys missed something. You were zealous for the law. But you missed this part that we are saved by some other method. And I'm going I'm to jump ahead, and I'm going to ask you to look at verse 10. I'm going to project this. To, I think I have it projected. Maybe not. OK, I'll read it to you. Do we have it? No, this is verse 12. Let's, I'm going to read this to you first, Romans chapter 10. Verse 9, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right? There's two elements. Confession, you have to actually say something. You're going to have to declare something. It's fascinating. A lot of the ministry in the postmodern church is very elusive. We don't really want to let anybody know what we believe. But Paul says you have to confess something. What do you have to confess? Yeah, just say it out loud. This is part of the confession. Jesus is the Lord. This is very, very important because this is an element that's missing in many, many churches. We're communicating that we have relationship with Christ based upon assent only. But Paul comes along and says, you have to actually confess something that's very important. What is it? That Jesus is your master. It's a kingship message. It's a message that each one of us has to come face to face with, and that is this. Have I met Jesus and made him my king? Right? That's the first part. And then he says you have to believe that God raised him from the dead, and that's that part of the message that speaks to the idea it's not just religion or civic religion. It's something alive. It's something that's true. We've been Eastered. I just made up a word. We've been Eastered. That, that's what Easter's all about. You know what it is? Anybody play horse before? Raise your hand if you played horse. Okay, you're getting beat, you're down to E, and you've missed your shot, or the other person's missed their shot. What do they say? Prove it. You know what the resurrection was? It was taking that next proof shot and sinking it. And saying, listen, all of those promises all of those claims, all of those things that are written in the Gospels, 
The resurrection verifies that they're true. It's true. It's a true message, and you have to believe that to be saved. Now, remember, I started this. I have no idea where I'm at in my notes right now. I'm just talking. So if I have to stop for a minute and go, he, we already talked about that, that Paul had a priority for the Jews. But in this verse, the verse that was reflected just a moment ago, he kind of changes that whole scenario. He says, but, listen, there's no difference between Jews and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a quote from Joel chapter 2. It's actually cited in Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit comes upon everyone who's there. Paul, or excuse me, Peter gives this resurrection message. After they discovered that the Holy Spirit had come upon them. Everybody that's listening, it says they were cut to their heart. They asked Peter, what should we do? What, do we, what should we do with this message of the resurrection? And Peter says this. Repent. Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. And this is a message not only for you, but for all who will come after you. Guess what? That's you guys. That's us. But there's a dilemma. And I have to direct you back to the text. Because Paul, um, he gives a crescendo of questions at this point. In fact, do I have... Do I have this verse up here? All right, well, I'll read this one then. He gives this crescendo of questions after he says, this is for everyone. He says, but how can they call on one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach... Unless they're what? Unless they're sent. This is an interesting concept, this crescendo of questions that Paul uses, because he ends with this idea of sending. And Romans chapter 10 is this. You tried to work it out your own way, but God provided a different way. It's by belief. You must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You have to believe that God raised him from the dead. It's for everybody but how is everybody going to find out? It is a message that must be declared. It has to be communicated to other people. That's what we're about. That's what we're doing. The actual word sent here is the same word we get our word mission from. It's interesting. In Latin, the word is missio. You've maybe even heard that phrase. In Greek, it's apostello, which is the word we get our word apostle from. You know what the word apostle means? Apostolos? It means one sent with a message. How can they believe unless someone preaches? How can they, how can they preach unless they're sent? I really believe the church of God must have an apostolic impulse. We have to be wired by our very identity apostolically to be sent with a message. It's interesting, Paul attaches this Old Testament reference to this idea of being sent. Read it for yourself if you've got your Bible open. 
He says, how can this happen unless someone's sent? And then he attaches Isaiah 52, part of it. He says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. The entire passage says, who proclaim peace, who proclaim salvation to those who are in Zion. And then it says this in Isaiah 52, our God reigns. Now, that wasn't obvious to Isaiah right then, but it was prophetic. It's the declaration that people are sent to say, our God reigns. Could you just whisper that, our God reigns? Now, just so you know, that's not the way it's supposed to be communicated. It's got this image of like a sentinel running out and saying, there's, a, there's good news, there's a gospel I need to declare. It's the, it's the gospel of peace. Here it is. Our God reigns. Try that. Say it louder. Our God reigns. Now, I know that's unusual because we we're kind of a cool church. We don't do that. <laughs> but didn't it feel kind of good to say something out loud? Why don't you say it louder for me? Just try that. Our God Ooh. <laughs> felt good to me. I don't know how it felt for you. In other words, Paul is saying the people of God must embrace the ministry of being sent to be a declarative people, to tell a different story to culture. It must be the story of peace, to announce with great fervor and tenacity our God reigns. Let me share with you two things about this idea of mission, and then, I'll, then we'll turn a corner. In a book called um, Mission-Based Spirituality, a, a lady wrote, her name is Susan Hope, that there are two elements to mission. Number one, you have to cross a boundary, and number two, you have to encounter a risk. Okay? Listen to this. In every city, there are lines. There are boundaries. There are places you go, the places you don't go. Some of our natural lines or boundaries, some of them are more imposed. I was just in Belfast. Raise your hand if you've been to Belfast. Fascinating city. In all of my traveling, I don't think I've encountered a city that was more difficult for me to get my brain around culturally. Uh, just so you know, there's, there's um, a, a new rash of bomb threats in Belfast. It's got a history. The first night I was there, I got a chance to drive around the city with a former cop. And he gave us what he calls the bullets and bombs tour. He showed us places, and he was kind of like a, kind of doing a documentary, or a drama documentary or something, like here we are driving down the street. If you cross this line right here, you'll be killed. So it was a little bit overdone. But the reality is the history is true. These are real pictures. I'm going to show you just a few pictures. Why don't you show This is called the Peace Wall. Now, it doesn't look very peaceful, does it? In our idea of peace, it's the, this idea of uh, there is peace that resides, right? This wall is erected so that peace can potentially happen. It's separating two different people, Catholics and Protestants. Catholic area, Protestant area. And I'm just grieved when I see there's these lines that people can't cross. And I say to him this, 
This can't be so. The gospel's got to be able to go across these lines. What if, I, what if I'm an atheist? This is crazy. What if I go into this Catholic area, go into a bar, they ask me what I am, and I say I'm an atheist? The follow-up question would be, are you a Protestant atheist or a Catholic atheist? <laughs> this is not an exaggeration, which, which flushed out, really, it's not about religion. Let me show you another picture. This is a real picture of a police station in Belfast. Every police station looks like that. They're like a maximum security prison because they get attacked all the time, or they have been attacked. Do I have one more? This is actually the land of St. Patrick. I want to tell you, that created quite a conundrum in my mind. This is the place where Christianity landed on that island. St. Patrick, the one we celebrate, we're reading the Celtic way of evangelism right now. That same land is with the peace wall. And they've turned religion on its head. There's walls. Can I ask you this? Where are the walls in our city? Excuse me, where are the lines or the boundaries in our city? They don't have to be so violent, but there are, they're here, sociologically, economically, racially. Where are the lines? Can you, South Hill, North Side. I'm sorry? Who has health insurance? What'd you say? Okay, Brown's edition. Melanie Flats. Do you hear anything in that in the, what we call that particular area? Dogtown. Hey, I'm a Hilliard boy. We can talk about that. Where else? Okay, there's natural geographic areas where people just don't travel back and forth. Can I tell you this? One of the reasons I'm sharing this with you is that's why we plant churches. See, we want to follow Jesus, who incarnated himself and moved into the neighborhood. He didn't expect everybody to come to him. He actually went to people. There's risk involved as well, if you cross boundaries. If you engage in a relationship with somebody who's difficult, there's a risk. You guys going to Thailand, there was a risk, right? I'm going to share with you two stories that, that affected me dramatically in the last couple weeks. One is, uh, I have a, a picture of them, Lawrence and Elsa Moritz. I have no idea who the guy in the middle is, to tell you the truth, so. <laughs> but the two guys on the outside are married. And they started a church called More Wine in Cape Town. They're a part of our constellation. I was in Brussels in February when they launched their service. This church in Brussels actually planted a church in Cape Town. This is them. And we were praying the name of the church is More Wine. We all held hands. We prayed. We started praying. Lord, we just want to pray for more wine. <laughs> then we all stopped and, like, chuckled. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you about this couple. They encounter Jesus, and they're struck with the inconsistency of the Gospels that we are speaking in, in Western culture. And they are middle to upper middle class South Africaners live on a vineyard. They moved out of their house and moved into a township. Now, if you know anything about South Africa, South Africa is one of the dangerous countries in the world. Number two in murder per capita and number one in rape in the world. This young couple, they move out of their comfortable lifestyle and they move into a township 
to a place where he, he's living in a shack. He explained there was an area about this big we were sitting. He said there's about 100 people living in that area where he lives now. He blew my mind. You know why? Because remember mission? You cross a boundary. What boundaries or lines did he cross? Massive economic boundary. What other boundary did he cross? Safety. What other one? Where's the epicenter of some of the, the most profound race challenges in the world right now? South Africa. The townships are all black. This is a cute white couple from what would be our suburban area. They're going, we're not going to live it like that anymore because of the gospel. We're going to take a risk and put ourselves in a unique situation. I, I listened to them. I just went, man, you guys are my heroes. Let, let me give you one other story, and that is... Uh, a good friend of mine leads a, one of our churches in Glasgow. And um, he's had the privilege of leading three men from Iran who are asylum seekers to Christ. Stepped into their life, stepped out of his world toward them, and these three people become Christians. I was talking with them. I says, what, why did you do it? He says, what we discovered in Jesus was a different kind of love. I was preaching it last Sunday. I was in Glasgow preaching at a service. We have an open cup for communion. It's a big bowl. It's one of those times of communion where you want to be the first of the line. <laughs> I always think that. I know that's probably not very spiritual, but I was thinking I want to have my lips on there before all those other people. And I look up, and Wes, who has two earned doctorates, one of the most brilliant guys that I know is standing there with these three Iranian guys and serving them communion. And I thought, that is so reminiscent of the wedding feast of the Lamb, where Wes crossed a barrier, entered someone else's life with the gospel. I'd like to stop, or I'd like to continue actually and uh, pray for Ryan and David and Monica and Heidi. But can I say this? Um, this idea of being sent, I love what Ryan shared. It's not just for them. It's not just for, oh, these are our church planters. You need to know that this idea of the missio, the sentness of God is for everybody in this room. There's no exceptions. God has called you. Some people ask why we've uh, planted churches. Why, why did we take the risk in sending Steve Hart out to Brown's Edition and Scott up to Garland and, and Jeremy to Deer Park? And, and they've actually done planting. And, and why would we send Ryan and David and, and other people out? It's a risk. It's not normal. It's not normal church. Here's the answer. I don't want to be pert, but I'm going to read you one more text of scripture, then I'm going to invite Russ and everyone to come forward. If you want to know the answer why we're doing it, Paul's words are these. How then can they, ones that have not believed, 
How can they believe in one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel. That's why we plant churches. That's the, that's the reason. It's not to build anything. It's to communicate the gospel to a world that needs to hear that there is a life. I want you to pray with me, and then I'm going to invite everyone else to come forward. Father, I want to ask you to take the words that I've shared and that have been shared here this morning and plant them deeply in the hearts and minds of every person who are here. I ask you, Father, to stimulate us, to irritate us with this message. That we would live for you so much that it would facilitate people asking, what is going on? Why are we living this way? I pray that not only for the people going with Ryan and Heidi up north and with David and Monica to Perry Street, but I pray for people who are here that each one of us would give space in our life to listen, to hear, and to heed the call that you've given to each one of us, not only individually, but as a community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we have the fan. Is it who we haven't come up, Russ? El elders. Excuse me. Pardon me. Hey, Tom, why don't you come up here too, wherever you are? You guys can stand right here in the front, I guess. A new audience. All of the kids are coming now because this isn't just an adult thing. This is a all-church thing. And so helping them to see that this group and many more are a part of what God is doing around the world. In fact, this whole morning they've been talking in the back about this idea that they are the sent ones too. And they know that there's going to be a group here of even the little kids that will be making their way up north or to the South Hill. So as soon as they get in and get settled, what we want to do is just spend a little bit of time laying hands on Ryan and Heidi and David and Monica and their families. And then we're just going to kind of pass the mic. A couple different elders will pray, and then Rob will just wrap up our prayer time. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that um, this is part of Rob's vision that you gave him 20 years ago. We thank you for putting the people in place. Father, for the willingness of all involved to listen to you and to obey. Father, through this transition, we would just ask for your protection over the Von Brethorts and the Millers. Father, that in their home there may be peace and joy. And with their, with their services and the efforts their churches have, 
that they may see you move and may see you move clearly. And Father, too, that the leaders of all the churches would have vision of what is next and what you want and that there would be unity in decision-making. Lord God, we call upon the name of Jesus. We ask for faith to see what we cannot see that is invisible. The principalities, the powers, the things that are around us and through us, Lord, in obedience to that vision, we send these families. And we ask that you would empower our hands as we move them, that you would be the fingers in our glove, that your will would be done, that your name would be praised, that your message would be spoken, and that your son, king of all kings, would be praised and given the honor deserved. Lord, may, be, may, may we be a people called to do your work. Purify us from sin. Lead us into community. And help us be strong in Christ. Father, thank you for the preparation that you have done in uh, preparing David and Monica and their family, and Ryan and Heidi and their family, all the, the people, the teams that you have connected uh, to both of these ventures. We thank you for the deposit of, of your life and your Holy Spirit and your truth in them and we we ask lord that you would now increase that you would uh, provide lord all that they need and go before them uh, we pray lord that um, you would be honored and delighted and pleased to go with them as moses said if you don't go with us lord we don't want to go out uh, but we know that you have committed all of your resources to uh, extending your kingdom, Lord, increasing your footprint on the earth, Lord. Uh, so we pray, uh, believing you to go with them and empowering them in all that they face, Lord, in Jesus' name. Father, this is a moment we have been dreaming about for years, but I'm reminded of the fact that you've been dreaming about it forever, that your greatest desire is to reconnect people to yourself and for your son to be glorified and for every knee to bow and every tongue confess. And so this mission that you have called us to is one that will not end until the moment you call us all to be with you. And so, God, I pray that as both of these churches launch out, that your, your kingdom 
would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I pray specifically for these families. I pray that you would be with each of the kids. Give them, the, give them a vision of what you are doing in people around them. May they be reminded that in the midst of the busyness and in the midst of seeing their parents give their very lives away for the gospel, that it would only inspire them to want to do the same. God, I pray that you would be with each of the wives, that Heidi and Monica would be able to be so supportive and encouraging that they would continue to see you present in the midst of everything that they're doing. God, give them strength when they need it. Give them the ability to say to David and Ryan the words that they need to hear at the right moment. God, may their home be one that is filled with peace. And God, for David and for Ryan, we just ask that you would empower them, that you would strengthen them, that you would give them incredible vision for how you are working and moving in people and in the city. We pray that you would continue to have them pursue you with all that they are. God, may the work of the ministry never replace you. May they give their heart to you first. And then as they pour it into the church, may you work through them in ways that they can't even at this point imagine. God, continue to keep them humble. Continue to keep them pure. Continue to breathe life into them. And God is... These families launch out and many others with them. God, we pray that your hand would be upon them and we could forever cheer the work that you're doing. As we close, could you guys um, just put your hand out toward them? And those of us who are here, let's put the, our hands on their heads as a prayer of anointing. Uh, we touch these brothers and sisters because we love them and we commit them to your service Lord they've been in it uh, we want them that to continue we fill them with your spirit and uh, God give them great discernment there are going to be people come around them that will seek to distract or to take away the vision of the gospel give them great discernment and give them as Russ has prayed already already great vision and and I, I pray right now that um, these churches that we're starting can get pregnant. <laughs> but we, we, we want to be a part of a lineage of the gospel as it continues off, not, not just here in Spokane, but beyond. We know that for, it says in scriptures, for when the Holy Spirit comes upon us in power, we will be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the very ends of the earth. May this uh, be a continuation of that promise. And we pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The church said, Amen. Amen.